Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartinized. Today's episode, More Nonsense. Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, starts out with horror stories. First, we're shown a man who lost his finger because health insurance wouldn't cover it. Actually, because he didn't have health insurance to cover it. And then we're told of someone who's lost a loved one. We're told of a woman who was denied coverage because she had had a yeast infection 15 years before. These are all pretty, pretty bad stories. And because Michael Moore is telling them, there's at least a 50% chance that they actually happened. But the overriding theme of this movie is that our whole healthcare system is just horrible because of health insurance companies. Surprisingly, he ignores hospitals, he ignores Big Pharma, but maybe that's going to be in a sequel somewhere. The real problem, we're told, is that healthcare is unfair. And our entire healthcare system sucks as a result of it. Of course, people flock from all over the world to American healthcare, but yeah, that's never mentioned or even hinted at. This movie shares the problems that are common to all Michael Moore films. There's a few outright lies, but mostly there's lots and lots of misleading facts. Facts that appear to support his opinions are presented, often out of context, but other supporting facts are completely ignored. For instance, he's quick to point out that the World Health Organization ranks the U.S. as 27th in healthcare. I wouldn't expect him to point out that the WHO has a long history of misrepresenting data and sometimes outright lying about it to support their agendas, but it would have been nice if he told us one of the major criteria for the ranking was how socialized the medical systems are. The fact that the U.S. ranked number two in citizen satisfaction, beat out only by Germany, isn't even hinted at. After a few horror stories, he moves on to cheering Hillary's failed attempt to socialize American medicine. He didn't see fit to mention that her plan consisted of creating over a thousand different departments and sub-departments and committees, proving that turning to the government to make things cheaper and simpler is like asking Rube Goldberg to light a candle. And he ignored the very worst thing about Hillary Care. She would have made it a felony to go outside the system. If you were unhappy with government care, and you went to a doctor and offered to pay him directly for treatment, men with guns would come for both of you and haul you away and toss you into some cold jail cell. This was beyond wrong. This was fascist. This was evil. The free, perfect Canadian healthcare system used to have the same rules in place, and still does throughout most of Canada. But... A doctor there was so frustrated with providing lousy care that he started doing private care, treating people, and they would pay him. So laws were passed against him, and he'd find a loophole, and more laws were passed against him, and he got so frustrated that he quit his job as a doctor and went to law school to become a lawyer and fought it all the way up to the Quebec Supreme Court. Much to everyone's surprise, he won. And now there are private clinics springing up all over Quebec, and they're thriving, how could that be? Why would anyone pay to go to a private clinic if Canada's free health care is so perfect? 
There is quite a bit of medical import and export going back and forth across the U.S.-Canadian border, but it's not all going in one direction. Americans go there for cheap drugs and sometimes, as shown in the film, to fake their way into medical treatment, but there's a significant trade in the other direction, too, as Canadians, disgusted with long wait times and inferior care, visit the U.S. to get treated faster and better. They'd rather pay with their own money than wait until Canadian health care gets around to them. An honest documentary would have shown this as well. Sicko, of course, did not. Take, for instance, the story of Lindsay McGrath. Lindsay was having seizures and headaches and went to his doctor and they were pretty sure there was some kind of brain tumor involved and so they scheduled him for an MRI four and a half months later. He was going to have to wait four and a half months because in Canada, MRI machines are pretty rare as compared to Americans. They have about a quarter as many per capita as the U.S. does. So they went to a health broker. This is amazing. There are health brokers in Canada that assist people with traveling out of the country to get their health care. And they were sent to a place in Buffalo where their wait time was one day, got an MRI, and came back with it. Went to the Canadian health care and said, look, here's our MRI. We want an operation. He's, he's got a golf ball size growth in his brain. And they said, sure, no problem. Great. Now we have this documentation. We can go right in there. Let's schedule an appointment for you four months from now. He wasn't too happy with that, and so he turned around and went back to Buffalo, got an operation, and the entire process from beginning to end took about four weeks. It normally takes eight or nine months in Canada. Why wasn't that in Michael Moore's film? Early in the film, Moore points out just how corrupt our government officials are. He lists how much people have been paid by the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare industry and the insurance industry. And this is important information. It shows that government weasels are for sale, and considering the return on investment, they are very moderately priced. And yet, somehow, turning our medical care over to these bargain price sellouts is still a good idea. Moore then goes on to trash the prescription drug bill that was passed a couple of years ago. And he's right. It deserved to be trashed. It deserved to be crumpled up into a ball and stomped on and set on fire and tossed in the nearest dumpster. It actually raised the price of medicine for many people and locked the government into paying the highest possible prices for drugs. And this government, who passed this rotten bill over the objections of the right and the left and the elderly, who it was supposed to serve, this government should take over health care. After a few more horror stories, we're whisked off to England where we're told there are no waiting lines and again, everything is puppies and rainbows. We're shown stories of people who got free medical care and are now healthy and happy. But we're not told that the UK cancels about 100,000 surgeries a year because of lack of resources. And we're not told the story of Ron and Olive Roberts. She's 79. He's 81. They were both suffering from macular degeneration, a disease that was robbing them of their eyesight and can be prevented with a new expensive drug called Lucentis. But that drug hasn't been approved for widespread use by the NHS, and it's expensive. Macular degeneration can cause blindness in as little as three months, and the NHS told them it would take at least that long before they got around to reviewing their case. 
The only way to get treatment in time was to go private, and it would have cost them $14,000 each for the treatment. Since they could only afford it for one of them, they had to decide which one of them would go blind. They picked Ron because Olive's sight was deteriorating faster. The British press told their story, and the NHS backed down and agreed to treat Olive, which left them able to purchase treatment for Ron out of their own pocket. Isn't it strange that the Honorable Mr. Moore chose to ignore this widely publicized story? He also didn't tell the story of a new thing that they've come up with over there in Britain, denying surgery to smokers. Yep, you need surgery, you smoke? Sorry, gotta leave. Gotta quit for at least a month before we'll even think about treating you. This is one of the worst parts of socialized medicine, and it's very, very seldom looked at. It gives the government a huge incentive to interfere with every single lifestyle choice that may be even the slightest bit risky. Of course, they'll start with the more risky ones, like smoking, but you can be sure that what you eat, whether you have a sedentary lifestyle, all of these things now are a legitimate, supposedly, thing for the government to be concerned about. Another way that they can intrude into your lives. None of this is even considered in Michael's film. I'm sure that was just an intentional oversight on his part. And then we're whisked away to France, a socialist paradise where everyone is happy and healthy and living off the government teat. We're told that not only is health care free, but when someone has a child, they get a free government nanny to help them out, and then nearly free daycare when they go back to work. Moore was enthralled with the story of Alexei, who lived all his adult life in the U.S., when he was diagnosed with a tumor, he moved back to France for their free health care. After three months of treatment, he told the doctor he didn't feel like going back to work, and so the doctor gave him a note that gave him a three-month vacation. The government paid 65% of his salary, and his employer kicked in the rest, getting uh, nothing, nothing in return. We then shown snapshots of him sunning himself in the south of France and drinking beer with pretty girls, and it didn't cost him a dime. Moore thought this was just wonderful. I thought it was one of the most disgusting things in the film. Then we're treated to other wonders of the French system. Employers can only have their employees work 35 hours a week and must give them five weeks of paid vacation and unlimited sick time. It's not surprising that France has a perpetual unemployment rate of 9 and 10 percent. Who wants to hire employees when getting any work out of them is so difficult? Since Moore is so heavy into numbers, how did that unemployment rate escape his eagle eye? How about France's economy, which has been in the dumper for decades? How can that be? Isn't everything supposed to be wonderful in a socialist paradise? He takes us to a supposedly middle-class family to see how well they live, despite the tax burden. France accompanies their high payroll taxes with a sales tax of nearly 20%, but he never mentions that this supposedly middle-class family earns uh, about three times the median salary as their fellow countrymen. Must have slipped his mind. A lot of attention has been paid to his childish trick of going to Guantanamo Bay and yelling through a megaphone that he wanted free health care for his boatload of sick people. There's no evidence that anyone heard him or could tell what he was saying, and when the sirens came on, he turned around and went to Cuba to prove that their health care is just wonderful. The implication is that he made a spontaneous decision to stop at Cuba and was treated at a typical Cuban hospital. 
This is yet another lie. He actually applied for permission to visit Cuba before he finished filming the movie. He never went through with the paperwork, and so now the government is considering nailing him for it. And the hospital that he went to was anything but typical of what Cuban citizens get. Since this show is already running too long, I'm not going to go into detail about Cuban hospitals. Instead, I'll ask you to go to Google, type in Cuban hospitals, and take a look at what you'll find. I caution you, and this is not a joke, I caution you not to do this during lunch or while you're having a snack because some of these sites have pictures. And it's also interesting to note that when Fidel got sick, he didn't go to a Cuban hospital. He had a doctor imported from Spain. After a picnic with Cuban firefighters, he waxes rhapsodic about enemies helping each other and then proceeds to tell us how wonderful he is. If this is what can happen between supposed enemies, if one enemy can hold out his hand and offer to heal, then what else is possible? That's when I heard that the man who runs the biggest anti-Michael Moore website on the internet was going to have to shut it down. He could no longer afford to keep it up, because his wife was ill and they couldn't afford to pay for her health insurance. He was faced with a choice of either keep attacking me or pay for his wife's health. Fortunately, he chose his wife. But something seemed wrong about being forced into such a decision. Why, in a free country, shouldn't he be able to have health insurance and exercise his First Amendment right to run me into the ground. So I wrote a check for the $12,000 he needed to keep his wife insured and in treatment and sent it to him anonymously. His wife got better and his website is still going strong. I sent it to him anonymously is a pretty interesting sentence. It can be true right up to the moment that you say it out loud, and then it becomes a lie. Moore didn't make an anonymous contribution. He made an unidentified one while he was filming this movie. It's fair to assume that he did it with the full intention of bragging about it in a futile attempt to make himself look good. If it had been truly anonymous, it would have been a fine and noble thing. But broadcasting it to the entire world makes him a first-class schmuck. There are lots and lots of problems with U.S. health care. Many of them are caused by the government. So the first step, you would think, would be to get the government out of the way as much as possible. Once we do that, we can address the remaining problems by trying things and seeing if they work and making adjustments and moving on. And the fastest way to do that in any endeavor is through the free market, which is self-correcting and makes those corrections pretty quickly. It's not perfect, nothing is, but it works better than anything else, especially better than the government. We've seen time and time again, example after example, that the worst way to handle just about anything is to turn it over to the government. All the marketplace corrections are removed and everything gets slower and more expensive. As always, Moore does a halfway decent job of showing some of the problem. As always, 
His solution is stupid and ridiculous. And that's it for this episode of Quick Hits. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can simply understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. Yes, I know I missed the last episode, uh... That's why I gave you this double one. Yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Uh, actually, this was longer than I liked them to be, but there was too much to say. And actually, and I edited out a lot of stuff, too. I will try and get more on the 1st and 15th schedule for you. But, you know, it's summertime. It's nice out. I'm not going to make a lot of excuses. Uh, I just took a little vacation. I had a lot of other things that I was doing. Because this episode is longer than it should be, I'm not going to go into the email in any great detail. I just want to say that a lot of the reaction to the Politics of Stuff episode, frankly, thought I was full of crap. Well, I'll tell you what. There are some ideas that I will fight for and argue with forever. This isn't one of them. This is just uh, my opinion of why some people's politics change over their lifetime. And if you don't agree with it, eh, that's okay. It's certainly not worth arguing about. It's, it's kind of a trivial point. You know, I love hearing from you, so all you got to do is send an email to hitman at davehit.com and you will find the correct spelling of that in the MP3 tags of this file. Or you can go to davehit.com, spelled with two T's, and you'll see links all over the place. You'll also see the new blog. I switched over to WordPress with a theme that I liked, and it allows me to put things on there quicker and easier, and I've been keeping it more up-to-date. Go there and check it out and add some comments and see what you think. As always, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.